Welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking Newspaper, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind. We have the permission of the Worcester News and our recording on Thursday, June 16th, 2022. We are here for anyone who is unable to read a newspaper. I'm Elizabeth Hill and this week's team comprises Kate Hudman, Janet Goodwin and Jim Norris and our engineer is Alex Gwynn. Admin has been done, I think, by Carol Hartle and I'm not sure who else. <laughs> Music is by Sheila Joins and The Thought for the Week by Keir Aldis. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. Not only is the recording available on the memory sticks posted out to you each week, but we can be heard online as a podcast and I think on one of those new listening devices... I won't give the name. <laughs> we hope you enjoy our offering and hope we, uh, we hope to inform, educate and entertain. The service is quite free to users. We are a registered charity. If, however, you would like to make a donation, it can be included in your wallet or sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. And we do thank you for any recent donations. Your feedback is appreciated, whether it's a complaint or a compliment. Put a note in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905767766. Please be aware we're not here every day. Do speak to the machine and leave your name and number, please. So, what can you expect? Some initial announcements, telephone numbers which may be useful... Kate's going to tell us what's on in the local theatres. Uh, we don't seem to have any birthdays this week. If we're missing one, happy birthday to you, but we don't know about it, so let us know. We'll have the headlines from the past week with the sunrise and sunset times. We'll have then stories, sport and some interesting articles. In addition to the weekly recordings, which began in 1978, we have an extensive library of talking books. If you're interested, do let us know, put a note in your wallet or a message, and the sort of genre that you prefer. Every couple of months, a magazine is produced containing a variety of subject matter. If you would like to receive this too, give us a ring or leave a message, put a note in your wallet, and same drill. And before I go any further, I would actually have picked up this summer burglaries warning. There do seem to be a lot of car break-ins in the city um, in recent months. Um, but now with the warmer weather, police have warned households to be vigilant about burglaries during the summer months with doors and windows often left open to help make homes cooler. Thieves see this as an easy target. West Mercia Police has shared some simple ways you can protect your home, including keeping front, patio and back doors closed and locked, as well as garden gates locked. You also need to ensure that windows and external doors on the ground floor are locked at night, and all doors and windows locked when you're out or even out of the room. Consider property marking schemes such as smart water and join a neighbourhood watch scheme. So that's the advert over, but it is important. 
So um, I'm going to ask Janet to give us the useful telephone numbers, please. Sorry. Worcester Talking News is 01905 767766. Worcester Hub 01905 765 765. Worcester County Council, here to help, 01905 768053 and choose option 3 when you get through. Unwanted telephone calls, BT, 1572 and follow directions given. Crime stoppers to report anonymously a crime, 0800 555 one. Community Risk Team, Fire, 0800 032 1155. Domestic Abuse Helpline, 0800 980 331. NHS Direct, 111. Out of Hours GP Service, 6.30pm to 8pm, 111. And you might be direct, redirected. Worcester Live, Swan Theatre, Stroke Huntingdon Hall, 01905 611427 Morven Festival Theatre 01684 892277 Norbury Theatre 01905 770157 Walking for Health led by Lynn Yendall 01905 and Sense Adventures 01684 891 796 and there's another number here 07920 Thank you very much and now Kate is going to tell us what's on in the local theatres. If you don't want to listen to this you can just move move it on on your boombox. Okay. Okay. Right, um, in uh, in Worcester then, at Worcester Theatres, which is the Swan and Huntingdon Hall, Avestus Tilly Studio and Henry Sandon Hall. Um, right, Parallel Mothers, that's on at Avestus Tilly Studio and that's on on the 17th, 17th on Friday. Uh, and that uh, lives of two women intertwine when they give birth on the same day. Um, then we have Agnes of God. Um, this is on in the Vesta City studio again on the 21st to the 25th of June at 7.45. Um, now that looks so it's... Um, Oh, summoned to a convent, Dr. Martha Livingstone, a court-appointed psychiatrist, is asked to determine the sanity of a young nun. Oh, well, there we go. That sounds a bit, um, bit well, interesting, a bit heavy. And then to cheer you up a bit, the sounds of Rod with Stan Terry. So Rod, sounds of Rod Stewart. Um, and uh, this is on, on Friday the 24th of June at 7.30 at Huntingdon Hall. Uh, at the Swan Theatre on the um, 23rd of June, we have um, another th- evening with Sue Pollard. Um, she's very funny and uh, that should um, cheer anybody up, I would have thought. Um, so that's uh, that's perhaps one for your diary. The Roy Orbison story is on on the 24th of June at the Swan, uh, which is the next night after Sue Pollard. Um, and that uh, I think uh, will be very good. I think the person who does the the voice of Roy Orbison is extremely good. Um, then uh, oh, it's, uh, there's a lot on at this at this one and Huntington Hall. It's well worth them um, if you can uh, finding out about this. We have uh, Watson, the final problem. 
Um, that speaks for itself as to who that is. That's Sherlock Holmes. Uh, that's on the 30th of June at 7.30 at the Swan. Um, we have the UK Rock Show at the Swan Theatre on the 26th of June, which I think will be loud, but probably very good. Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, Kiss, ACDC. Goodness me, that is going to be noisy, but really, really good if that's your kind of music. Then we've got Country Superstars whole different range of people of course uh this is dolly pardon patsy klein johnny cash billy joe spears kenny rogers willie nelson so on and so forth so that's on the 25th of june at 7 30 simon and garfunkel story friday the 1st of july at 7 30 uh, so that's a, a whole all covers a whole range of music there um and uh, that should be you know something for everybody i would have thought um now uh, there is um, a jazz duo from Scotland who are playing a fundraiser in Norton Parish Hall. Uh, obviously, this isn't to do with the swan or anything else. Um, but um, they're doing this on the, t- the 8th of July on a Friday at 8 o'clock. Tickets are £10 and they're available uh, by telephoning 07714 nine one five or you can email njk parish hall or one word at gmail.com there will be a licensed bar if that sort of lifts your spirits a bit but that's jazz that sounds as though that might be quite a good one um right then we go on to um to what's going on in droitwich now um west side story figures on the 13th of july uh, this is a, a, the film, I think. Yes, it's the film. Um, that, so that should be um, very nice, if you, especially if you like that that music from the film, which is you know wonderful. I, I like I like most of the music from there. Um, and Legally Blonde uh, starts on the twenty uh, second of June till the twenty fifth of June. This is the Norbury Players doing an amateur production of Legally Blonde the musical. So again, more good good singing and um, probably very good if if it's the Norbury Theatre players doing it. Um, and then we have the Merry Widow, the Opera Worcester presents the Merry Widow. All they're always very good, and that is on uh, on the twenty third of July. Oh, we're going way ahead now. Twentieth to the twenty third of July at seven thirty, and also two thirty matinees on Saturday. Um, so those are three things to watch out for at, uh, at Droitwich. Um, in Malvern, um, on the 22nd of June, um, more about the Queen after we've just had this wonderful Jubilee celebration. Um, we have um, <coughs> the coronation of the Queen. Um, now, this has got five-star reviews from just about everywhere, so this sounds wonderful. Um, to commemorate the Platinum Jubilee of the world's longest reigning monarch, uh, the Armonico Consort will recreate the highlights of the coronation service. So that's going to be quite something. And there's a choir and brass band player and all sorts. So uh, I think, you know, that is something else to, to really, you know, perhaps make an effort to go to wednesday the 22nd of june that is at half past seven so coming up um and i'm sure there are still tickets for that then we have um <clears throat> the, the transition to green energy in automotive in, in the automotive by charles morgan 
obviously Morvan being the um, founder of the Morgan Motor Car. And this is the 28th of June at half past seven. So if your interests lie there, then that's uh, something for you. And then if you want some fun, and um, I think this is uh, maybe suitable for children as well as adults, um, the Queen's Knickers <laughs> uh, on Saturday, the 2nd of July, and that's at two o'clock and five o'clock. So that does suggest that that's something more for children, but um, something that adults enjoy as well because it's just fun. Um, then uh, we have Bob Marley Legend, um, and that is the July the 8th. Um, and uh, that sounds as though oh, that's going to be quite something, another loud one. But uh, it's up to you, whatever you like. If that's your your thing, then then you go for it. Um, and then there's the hilarious whodunit play Cluedo. And that is the 20th to the 25th of June. So that's Morven. So there's quite a lot on for you to choose from. And if you didn't catch half of that that I said, um, sorry about that, but uh, you can play this back again. You can you can put your stick in and listen and you'll get the details then. Or ring the box offices, of course. Thank you, Kate. Gosh, quite a lot going on. Yes, there is. Um, so, as I said, no birthdays this week. Um, so I'm going to ask uh, Jim if he will read the headlines and sunrise and sunset, please. Number one is I have lost my livelihood. Number two is shape of things to come. Three is cars clamped in DVLA operation. Four is I cannot remember my five kids. Five is jailed for racist posts. And six is body found in woodland. Sunrise is 4.47am. Sunset is 9.32pm. Thank you. And with the first of the stories is Kate. Right. A father who suffered life-changing injuries in a horrific crash is disgusted that the woman who almost killed him is still on the roads. Zach Martin was riding his motorbike towards Worcester when a car driven by Sarah Chapman pulled out of a junction and ploughed into him in Powick, causing catastrophic injuries. Chapman admitted a charge of careless driving at court and was handed six points under £250 fine. But 32-year-old Mr Martin slammed the lenient sentence she received at Worcester Magistrates Court, which did not even involve a driving ban. His reaction was one of disbelief and disgust when his 31-year-old partner, who attended court, told him the result. The defendant's Vauxhall Zafira struck him after she pulled out of Sparrow Hall Lane onto the main Malvern Road, crashing into his Yamaha YZF R1 at around 4.30pm on November the 5th last year. Mr Martin of Orford Way, Malvern, but previously of St John's, was in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital for seven weeks and still cannot walk unaided, using crutches to hobble about the house. The former Chase High School and former Worcester Tech student, who used to hike up the Malvern Hills three times a week, suffered two broken ankles, a broken femur, a broken pelvis, a broken tibia, all of which required an external fixation, a fractured eye socket and a dislocated knee. Although the couple accepts the crash was an accident, they still feel the driver should have faced a driving ban. Mr Martin cannot remember the crash itself as he was slipping in and out of consciousness. The father of one had to sign a disclaimer as it was feared his leg would have to be amputated. I thought my leg was gone. I thought that was it, he said. 
The consequences still reverberate through his family seven months after the devastating crash, including the toll on his own mental health. He has not ridden a motorbike since and says he never will again. A former production manager at a welding and fabrication company, he now cannot work and is forced to spend time in bed to recover after receiving 12 separate operations and six blood transfusions. Chapman, aged 55, of Holly Green, Upton, was handed six penalty points, fined £250 and ordered to pay costs of £110 and a victim surcharge of £34. Mr Martin said, I don't think she realises how life-changing it is and how close I came to dying that night. The sentence was way too lenient. I'm disgusted by it. They took into account her situ- into account her situation, the impact on her of losing her license o- above her livelihood. They don't take into account my interests. Injuries. I have lost my livelihood. I can't drive. I can't work. I can't do anything. Yet she can still drive. Mr. Martin's partner Anna Smith was present to watch Chapman's sentence, describing the bench's decision as disheartening and speaking of the anger she felt. She was a self-employed beautician but has become a full-time carer to Mr. Martin. The loss of two sources of income has had a massive financial impact on the couple, who have a three-year-old daughter, Phoebe. Mr. Martin is still waiting for a complicated full hip replacement operation and may need potentially three more operations. Three skin grafts were necessary as part of his recovery and he has had to have a ligament removed from his arm to put in his foot. He has battled an infection caused by one of the screws in his fixator which had to be replaced. He also required a bone graft. Miss Smith has been driving her partner of 13 years to the QE once a week for checkups, x-rays and to change the dressings. Worcester is set for a boost with three new businesses opening in the near future around the city centre. A new restaurant will open on a busy city road, a carpet store will come to a city retail park and a currently shut pub is set for a major revamp by new owners. A restaurant selling Korean food and organic Japanese teas has started to take shape on Fourgate Street. Grounded Kitchen's branding for the location is already up outside the store with a sign which reads, See you soon. There is also a QR code which can be scanned by anyone passing for them to access more information on how they can join the staff. The premises was previously occupied by the Coral Betting Shop. In the Corn Market, the former Worcester Steak and Grill House has been taken over to Davenport's Brewery, who are giving the venue a full refurbishment. The location has posters put up on the doors, promoting the takeover and showing a message saying, See you soon. Davenport's is one of the largest brewing and pub retailing companies in the region, with an artisan brewery, distribution centre and head office situated in Birmingham. The business also owns and operates hotels, nightclubs and event venues around the West Midlands region. Meanwhile, at the Elgar Retail Park, Tappy Carpets and Floors is being fitted out in the former Next Home store. The business offers removals, fittings and home visits to discuss options.
According to the website, the brand has 189 locations across the UK, including at Cheltenham's Gallagher Shopping Park and Gloucester's St Oswald's Retail Park. The new businesses have been welcomed. Councillor Adrian Gregson, Mayor of Worcester, said, We are always very pleased to see new businesses open up in Worcester. We have been worried about the high street over lockdown, so it's so important to encourage new businesses and new opportunities. They are all certainly very welcome. The city is growing and anything like this should be encouraged. Councillor Lynn Denham said, It is always lovely to see new businesses coming to the city. A Korean restaurant is particularly interesting, as I do not think we have had a venue serving Korean food before. The Herefordshire and Worcestershire Chamber of Commerce pledged support. Robert Elliott, Director of Business Engagement and Development, said, We continue to support both new and existing businesses across the country. Opening dates for the new businesses have yet to be announced. Enforcement action has been taken against more than 120 drivers in Worcester as several untaxed cars were clamped in a single street. Wiles Lane proved a hot spot as the DVLA clamped several vehicles across the city on Tuesday, some parked right next to each other. One car belonged to an NHS key worker. Cars were fitted with heavy-duty yellow clamps marked DVLA and signs and pamphlets were put behind the windscreen wipers. The clamped cars included a blue mini in Lansdowne Road, near the junction with Flag Meadow, Flag Meadow Walk, which has had a sign saying Key Worker NHS displayed in the back window. There is also a clamped grey Fiat Punto at the car park near the shops in Cranham Drive, Warnden, and a black Vauxhall insignia in Haresfield Close, Warnden. The DVLA confirmed that 123 enforcement actions had so far been taken against untaxed vehicles in Worcester this year. These have been described as just day-to-day routine operations. The DVLA holds in excess of 44 million vehicle records and therefore do not have to be on the road to spot an untaxed vehicle, a spokesman confirmed. Their wheel-clamping partners will also use automatic number plate recognition, ANPR, technology to assist in their search. So there really is nowhere to hide a vehicle if it isn't taxed, said a spokesperson. Tax can be paid via direct debit and online services are quick and easy to use. A DVLA spokesperson said, wheel clamping is one of a range of enforcement measures used to tackle vehicle tax evasion. As part of their day-to-day enforcement activities, DVLA's national wheel clamping partner goes to different areas of the country to clamp or impound any untaxed vehicles seen on the road. Whilst over 98% of vehicles on the road are taxed correctly, it is right that we take action against those who break the law and don't tax their vehicles. A man suffering from amnesia after collapsing in a local nature reserve can no longer remember his children. John Sylvester was found collapsed in Ronxwood Hill Meadows local nature and is struggling to remember large parts of his life, including his five children, ranging from 10 to 22. Mr Sylvester said, I can barely remember what happened. It's so horrible and such a strange feeling not being able to remember things. 
I remember my wife and the love I have for her, but I can't remember my kids at this current stage in time. I've seen pictures of them, but I just cannot recall who they are. Mr Sylvester collapsed while walking home from the doctors and was later told in hospital it was thought that he'd had an epileptic fit. He wants to find an unknown man who performed chest compressions until the paramedics and air ambulance arrived. The Good Samaritan was credited with saving his life by performing CPR before Mr Sylvester was airlifted to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Mr Sylvester said, I am desperate to find out who this man was because without him, I don't think I would have survived. Obviously, I have to say thank you to the paramedics and the air ambulance crew as well, but without this man, I would have died. If anyone has any information about who this may have been, please, please reach out to them and tell me. He continued, I was in and out of consciousness, so the incident is extremely hard to recall. I can vaguely remember hearing voices, then the sound of the helicopter and being turned over by the paramedics. Next thing I know, I am waking up in the hospital later that day. I have been here since the incident and I am seeing a neurologist later today. I am not currently sure what I will be able to, when I will be able to leave. It was explained to me that this can sometimes happen with epilepsy. The identity of the man who performed the chest compressions on John is still unknown, with John unable to recall him. A former West Mercia police officer, who was based in Droitwich, has been jailed for sending racist WhatsApp messages following the death of George Floyd. James Watts has been sentenced to 20 weeks in prison after admitting 10 counts of sending grossly offensive messages. The 32-year-old of Castle Bromwich in Birmingham sent the messages to a group chat from his private phone in May and June of 2020. Four memes sent by Watts referred to George Floyd and the protests that were taking place in the States at the time. After the messages came to light in June 2020, West Mercia Police referred the case to the Independent Office for Police Conduct, IOPC. At the time of the offences, he was a probationary police constable with the force based in Droitwich. Watts resigned from the force while the investigation was ongoing. An accelerated misconduct hearing was held where it was found that he would have been dismissed had he not already resigned. His name has also been added to the College of Policing's barred list, banning him from any policing role across the country for life. Deputy Chief Constable Julian Moss said, I welcome the sentencing and the custodial sentence, which shows the gravity of the offence. This case shows we are committed to rooting out any racist behaviour within the force, whether it takes place on or off duty. There is absolutely no place for these attitudes or this behaviour within Mess Mercia Police. James Watts let down the communities he served and his colleagues by his grossly offensive behaviour. The force will not tolerate it, our officers will not tolerate it, and I will not tolerate it. George Floyd was an African-American man who was murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, during an arrest after a store clerk suspected Floyd may have used a counterfeit $20 bill on May 25th, 2020. And the final headline story. 
The body of a man has been found in Woodland in Worcester. Police confirmed they found the man's body after a report of concern for a man in Bluebell Woods warned in villages at 7.20am on Wednesday. The death is not being treated as suspicious. A public footpath near Bluebell Woods was closed off and walkers being turned away when the Worcester News attended the scene. A spokesperson for West Mercia Police said, Earlier this morning, Wednesday, June the 15th, police were called to Bluebell Woods over concerns for a man. Police and paramedics attended. However, unfortunately, the man was sadly pronounced dead at the scene. The death is not being treated as suspicious and a report will be prepared for the coroner. Next of kin have been informed. Multiple emergency service vehicles were at the scene. An eyewitness said they saw several police vehicles, ambulances and a fire engine near Roundhouse Way in Warnden Villages. The man's death is the fourth non-suspicious death in public places in Worcester in the last week. The Worcestershire coroner, David Reid, will open an inquest where it is deemed appropriate to establish the cause of death. The role of the coroner is to investigate and record the causes and circumstances of all sudden deaths where the cause is not known, violent or unnatural deaths, and any death which occurred whilst the deceased was in lawful custody. No inquest date has been yet set for the most recent deaths reported. And that concludes the headline stories for this week. So now with um, Kate, we're going to start with the rest of the news. Right. Um, Two city railway crossings are set to close to pedestrians despite the alarming concerns of a councillor worried about cutting off more public rights of way. Worcester City Council is set to create public space protection orders on two paths between Brickfields Park and Astwood Road and another at Kay's Crossing which links the city's, city's Bromyard Road and Lawn Brook Nature Reserve due to an extraordinarily high number of incidents including antisocial behaviour and bricks being thrown at trains. Councillor Neil Lawrenson said he was alarmed and unsettled by the plan and said the council should not be looking to close public rights of way at a meeting of the community's committee in the Guildhall on Wednesday, June, June the 9th. He added that antisocial behaviour regularly took place along Worcester's High Street but could not see the council pushing to have it closed off at any time. Councillor Lawrenson also pointed to the four-week consultation held by the council on the plan to close the two crossings, which showed that just under two-thirds of the 161 responses said they did not support the closure of the Kays crossing, which the committee just looked set to ignore. Committee Chairman Councillor Jabarias said there was a clearly, a, clearly a divide on the committee over denying access, but the main concern was public safety. He said, I don't think some of the issues that Councillor Lawrenson was talking about can be complicated into this scenario, a genuine safety issue for not only the people crossing it, but for train drivers and the passengers. If our decision here resulted in something awful happening there, I don't think any of us could live with it. The orders, which have also been used by the City Council to ban drinking alcohol in the city centre, could see people fined up to £100 if they use the banned routes. 
The Kay's footpath, which was used regularly by school children but suffers from poor visibility, making it dangerous, has been closed temporarily since February 2020 because of several near misses between people and trains. Ten incidents were reported at the Kays crossing, the most at any point in the country, on the 2,000-mile long western route, including one death. There were seven deliberate misuses, including six involving youngsters and two near misses with the driver having to slam on the emergency brakes. Of all the planning aberrations visited on Worcester during the second half of the 20th century, and there were a few, one of the more bizarre was the decision to allow the demolition of Edward Elgar's last residence. The fact the attract attractive property known as Marlbank near the top of Rainbow Hill was replaced by an angular 60s apartment block was bad enough, but that wasn't really the half of it, because the site also had an important connection with the English Civil War. For it was there the great siege of 1646 ended, when Worcester's royalist garrison, which had been supporting King Charles I, surrendered to Parliament thus becoming the first of the cities that declared for the crown and the last which held in defence thereof. By the way, don't confuse this with the Battle of Worcester involving Charles II, which happened five years later. When they took the wrecking ball to Marlbank in 1969, the city had neither a proper museum charting Elgar's life and times, that didn't happen until 2000, when the facilities at his birthplace cottage at Lower Broadheath were expanded, nor a comprehensive civil war centre, because the one at the commandery didn't open until 1977. As historians have mentioned several times since, retention and conversion of Marlbank would have solved one, if not both, of these demands. But what's done is done, although it's hard to gaze at the architecture of Elgar Court, which rose from the rubble, and dream of Gerontius or swashbuckling cavaliers. At the bottom of Rainbow Hill, at the junction with Tolodyne Road, there was once a turnpike gate, which until the 1860s marked the boundary between town and country. All beyond was green pasture and orchards, and Rainbow Hill was a rural and picturesque place with a number of pretty villas halfway up. The house at the top, originally a farmhouse, had several names over the years. It was The Mount and Round Mount before Elgar, by then a widower, and he bought it as Marlbank at the end of 1929. It was his 21st home, and he was to die there in 1934, aged 76. Although the property was large for an elderly person, its appeal lay in having good views across the city to the cathedral, something Elgar would have appreciated in his twilight. Three centuries earlier, Worcester had been besieged twice in the Civil War, in 1643 and 1646. The latter lasted from March 26 until July 23rd and only ended when news came that King Charles I had surrendered to the Scots at Newark in preference to being captured by the Parliamentary Army. At that, the governor led the brave garrison in a march out of the city walls with flags flying to Round Mount on Rainbow Hill where all were offered a free pass after pledging not to bear arms against Parliament again. 
The gentlemen among them were also allowed to keep their swords. This explains why so few Worcestershire gentlemen took part in the 1651 Battle of Worcester, because they were not prepared to dishonour the promise they had made at the top of Rainbow Hill five years earlier. Or as Elgar might have put it, they kept the pomp by remembering the circumstances. 100 people will potentially lose their jobs after a nationwide car retailer confirmed it would close its Worcester site. Kazoo's preparation centre in Norton will shut after the firm announced it was slashing its workforce by 15% in an effort to cut costs. A Kazoo spokesperson said, Yes, unfortunately, we plan to close this site as part of our revised business plan in the current economic climate. Approximately 100 people will be impacted by this. The preparation centre on Church Lane was taken over by Gazoo last year when the firm acquired SMH Fleet Solutions. An employee at the site, who didn't wish to be named, said staff were told of the decision on Tuesday morning. He added that when SMH Fleet Solutions was purchased by Kazoo, staff were assured that they would not lose their jobs as a result. The Kazoo spokesperson added, We no longer currently require the capacity of all 10 vehicle preparation sites we have in the UK that we inherited when we acquired certain businesses, so we have chosen to close two of them. Across the UK and Germany, Kazoo is to axe around 750 jobs, as the retailer looks to cut costs by more than £200 million by the end of 2023. The company, founded two and a half years ago, has seen online car sales dwindle as pandemic restrictions have been lifted, with used car dealer Carzam collapsing late last week. The firm said it will also lower marketing spend and push back some planned investment projects, among other cost-cutting measures. Currently, Kazoo sponsors a range of sports clubs and events, such as Aston Villa, the Jockey Club, the Professional Darts Corporation and the World Snooker Tour. Founder and Chief Executive Alex Chesterman said, The combination of rising inflation and interest rates with supply chain issues caused by the pandemic and war has driven up the cost of living and hit consumer confidence. This perfect storm has placed cash conservation top of mind for the company ahead of growth. A new riverside venue and rooftop bar are set to be built as part of multi-million pound work to transform the city's racecourse. Worcester City Council is preparing a £10 million bid to the government to extend the grandstand at Worcester Racecourse to make way for a new summer rooftop bar and restaurant and build a new riverside cafe and function room for weddings and parties. The work, which forms part of a bid which is set to be put forward to the government for levelling up money, also includes the modernisation of the new greener racecourse, Grandstand, which would create a new facility capable of hosting large events, conferences and public celebrations all year round. Improvements would also be made to the main racecourse entrance, with the ground levelled to help during flooding and more toilets would be built. The racecourse part of the bid totals £9 million, with Sports Arena putting forward half of the money. The proposed £20 million bid by Worcester City Council 
also contains new and upgraded facilities at Nunnery Wood Sports Centre, including a new sports hall and exercise studio, bigger gym and a new resurfaced running track. £10 million work to transform the former engine works building in Shrub Hill Road into work and office space will also form part of the bid. The council also plans to carry out work to create a bigger and improved Worcester Museum and Art Gallery in Forgate Street. Bids must be submitted to the Department for Leveling Up by July the 6th, with the results expected to be announced by ministers in the autumn. The work at and around the racecourse looks set to come at the expense of a separate destination Diglis project, which has not been included on a council shortlist. Earlier this year, the council said it was planning to invest more than a million pounds to create better connections between the city centre and the River Severn in order to draw more people to stay. A report commissioned by the council has found that Worcester is lagging far behind other cathedral cities such as Gloucester, Lincoln and Exeter when it comes to the number of visitors. Open visits are being reintroduced across across all Worcestershire hospitals from next week. Hospitals such as Worcestershire Royal and the Alexander in Kidminster will be um, the Alexander is actually in uh, Redditch uh, and Kidderminster Hospital as well will be included. They will be allowed to be open, have open visiting from Monday, June the 13th. The move follows what has been a gradual relaxation of the strict visiting rules that were put in place during the COVID pandemic. Up to two visitors will be able to visit patients between the hours of 10am and 10pm, seven days a week. Paula Gardner, Chief Nursing Officer at Worcestershire Acute Hospitals, NHS Trust, said, We recognise the contribution that visiting makes to the well-being and person-centred care of our patients and the support and love families and friends bring, and we are delighted to bring back open visiting. Our new open visiting policy, which follows national guidance around visiting to healthcare settings, will allow our patients to be fully reconnected with their loved ones. I would again like to extend our thanks and gratitude to our patients, their families and loved ones for their understanding and adherence to the visiting rules that we have had to impose throughout the COVID pandemic. Your diligence and awareness of the need to keep loved ones safe in hospital has been key in our efforts to fight the virus. The open visiting applies to adult inpatient ward areas. Visitors to maternity, neonatal and children's wards, intensive care and high dependency units are asked to check visiting times with these areas before they visit. The news follows the update that masks will no longer be required when visiting hospitals across the county. Patients visiting GP surgeries or hospital outpatient appointments and people attending A&E no longer need to wear masks, but those with respiratory symptoms, such as a cough, should wear a face mask or a face covering. Patients admitted to hospital with COVID-19 or suspected to have COVID should be provided with a face mask when they are admitted to a ward or in a communal area. If this can be tolerated and it is deemed safe for the patient, then then that will be very good, the letter adds. A man in his 70s has died after falling from a city centre car park in Worcester. 
The man was pronounced dead at the scene after suffering a serious head injury following a fall from the Crowngate car park on Saturday morning. Tributes have been paid to the pensioner, whose death has caused shock and sadness across the community. A cordon was put in place, preventing vehicles from entering the butts in Worcester, while a white sheet was laid over the body near the entrance to the bus station. People were asked to avoid the area while police were at the scene. One woman said she tried to help the man by giving him CPR. Police tape was placed around the foot of the stairwell as part of the road closure, while police vehicles helped screen the incident from onlookers. A cordon was also placed across the pedestrian bus station entrance to Crowngate, preventing people from entering or exiting while the scene was secured and investigations continued. A police spokesperson said, Police were called to Angel Place, Worcester, at about 7.10am, where a man had suffered a serious head injury. Sadly, the man, who was in his 70s, was pronounced dead at the scene. It is believed that he had fallen from the Crowngate car park. Roads around the car park were closed whilst emergency services worked at the scene, which caused some disruption to travel. Worcester News readers paid tribute to the man. One wrote, So sad, my heart goes out to his family and friends. Rest in peace. Officers were present at the scene to enforce the cordon, but also responded to inquiries about bus services and explained alternative routes when asked. First Buses also updated customers that, due to a police incident outside Crowngate bus station, services that normally turn left are being diverted in both directions. Once the cordon was lifted, normal service resumed. The first part of a new electrical training centre was dropped into place at the building block in Shap Drive, Warnden on Thursday. A new reception area will follow shortly. The building block, which is run by Worcester Community Trust, offers accredited training courses in plumbing, plastering, tiling and more, as well as a range of DIY skills courses. The extension will allow the centre to add electrical courses to that list. Funding came from Worcester City Council via the Towns Fund, a multi-million pound government grant, helping to pay for a number of projects around the city. Helen Davis, Director of Skills and Training at the Trust, said the centre asked for advanced funds in order to get the extension. We offer training to people of any age wanting to gain skills in the construction industry, she said. We work hard to get as much funding as we can to offer courses free of charge if people aren't in work. If people are in work but fancy a career change and want to get into the construction industry, we also offer paid evening courses. At our, consult at our consultation forum events, we found great support and asked the question, what does the city need? We know there's a lack of construction skills, so we're here to give local residents the skills they need to get ahead in the industry. The building block also has plans to build a second training facility in Dines Green, plans that were backed by the City Council last month. Councillor James Stanley said the project was a clear example of what can be achieved with relatively small amounts of money. These are areas that we all have to admit that have needed this type of funding for many, many years. And the people who live in the areas of Dines Green, Runxwood and my own area in Gorse Hill will undoubtedly benefit from this structured and focused investment, he said. 
it's hugely to be applauded. I think we are here to improve lives, and this is what funding does. Thank you. And now we're going to have a roundup of um, sport stories. And I'm going to start with the Vitality Blast. Uh, it's mostly cricket. In fact, I think it's all cricket, actually. This is Worcestershire versus Derbyshire. Having lost at Northamptonshire the night before in dismal fashion, Worcestershire returned home and, in front of a healthy crowd, looked to try and provide some much-needed cheer in their, in their Vitality Blast clash with Derbyshire. The hosts won the toss and put Derbyshire into bat. And it was a promising start as Moeen Ali took two early wickets inside the opening fourth overs. Moeen got his first when Louis Rees, 11, was caught by Charlie Morris before Australian Hayden Kerr, number two, picked out Worcestershire debutant Kashif Ali. Opener Sean Massoud was in d- decent form and steadily built a score with Wayne Mas- Mutson, 16, before the latter was caught by Ed Cox off the bowling of Ed Barnard. Massoud reached his half-century in the tenth over, but the bowling attack was far more disciplined than the night before, as the visitors wavered between seven and eight runs and over. Louis Duploy and Massoud remained and ran ones and twos to keep the score ticking over. A series of boundaries pushed Massoud up to 65, before his innings was brought to an end when he nicked one through to Cox. Duploy, 27, was next to go in the 16th over as he top-edged a Dwayne Bravo delivery into the sky and eventually Cox took the catch. Bravo had his second in the 18th over when he clean-bowled Alex Hughes, 9, and then in the last over the West Indies man took a catch in the deep as Brooke Guest, 9, gave Pat Brown his first wicket. A couple of sixes added a few runs to the total for the visitors, who ended on 168 for seven. It looked a manageable chase for the Rapids, but they were dealt two early bows, blows when Jake Libby, three, and Moeen Alley, ten, uh, naught, actually, both fell. There was a big let-off soon after as Brett D'Oliveira went to the skies only for two Derbyshire players to collide and to drop an easy catch. But Colin Munro, five, then handed the visitors a gift himself when he stepped out his crease going for a shot and Guest stumped him to leave Worcestershire reeling at 27 for three. D'Oliveira continued to plug away and together with Jack Haynes, the pair saw the hosts to the 50 mark by the end of the power play. Haynes scored 21 runs off an expensive eighth over from Derbyshire's George Scrimshaw as he raced on to 32 and pushed Rapids, Rapids out to 75 for three. D'Oliveira was again dropped in the deep in the 11th over, but a ball later, Haynes, 35, was bowled by Matt McKeonan. Another catch went begging for Derbyshire as this t- time debutant Kashif was dropped before D'Oliveira reached his half-century. He rode his luck once, but this time Kashif, three, was out in the next over, as he was caught on the boundary. Worcestershire still required 66 off 35 balls, but they looked defeated as Barnard, four, Cox, five, and Dwayne Bravo, two, all felt cheaply, 
before Dolivera's knock came to an end in the 17th over, and with it, the game. Players at Worcester Warriors have now been paid for last month after reporters suggested that some players were considering legal action over money owed. The Daily Mail reported on Wednesday that some squad members were not paid on time for the month of May and claimed this caused concern amongst several players in the squad who had taken the issue to club bosses in order to solve the problem. A club statement confirmed that all players had now been paid in full and that a delay to payments was caused due to a cash flow issue. Warriors can confirm all players have been paid their salaries for May 2022 in full, the statement read. A short delay in paying a small number of players was caused by a short-term cash flow issue that's now been resolved. Warriors, like most major sports clubs and businesses, saw income streams severely affected during the various lockdowns caused by COVID. We appreciate with the war in Ukraine and rise in the cost of living, these remain uncertain and challenging times for many. As a club and business, we are very grateful to the support, understanding and loyalty of our bankers, suppliers, commercial partners, our supporters and our staff during this period. Warriors also specified that new developments were to be made to six ways in order to generate more cash, as well as arranging more non-rugby match day re revenue. We will continue to diversify the range of activities at Six Ways to generate more non-rugby matchday revenue, the statement continued. We are also working on plans for a major project to develop the whole Six Ways site, which we believe will secure the long-term future of Warriors as a sustainable Premiership rugby club. Worcester season is now over after the win over Bath last weekend concluded the 2021-22 campaign. Reports suggest that approaches have been made to Worcestershire by rival County Warwickshire for Moen Alley and Ed Barnard. The pair are both out of contract at the end of the 2022 season and Warwickshire are also keen on Lancashire's Sakib Mahmood, according to the cricketer. The English Cricket Board... ECB state that any club wanting to talk to a player must notify their current club first and it is understood that Worcestershire have been informed of Warwickshire's interest. All three players have a number of clubs seeking their signature for the 2023 season but it is expected that Moeen will return to Warwickshire, the county where he began his career 17 years ago. He has been with Worcestershire since 2007 and is heralded as one of the best to play for the pairs. The news comes a day after Moeen confirmed he has come out of retirement to return to Test cricket. Moeen called time on his Test career in September last year after 64 tests in which he took 195 wickets and scored five centuries but the all-rounder confirmed his U-turn to BBC Test Match Special. I spoke to Brendan McCullum, England head coach, on Sunday morning, and we did discuss Pakistan this winter, he said. He is a very difficult person to say no to. I find that very, very hard. He is very convincing, and to be honest, I would love to play under him and Ben Stokes. They are both very aggressive, and I think I would suit their cricket a bit more. I have played Pakistan Super League out there a few years ago, but it's not the same. 
to travel with an England side there, having family background from that part of the world, will be amazing. It would be a historic event because of England not touring there for so many years. I know the support and love you can get out there. They love cricket. It's really something that's very appealing for sure. The door is always open, and yet, I suppose, I'm officially unretired. As for all-rounder Ed Barnard, he came through the Worcestershire Academy and broke into the senior side in 2015. The ex-England under-19 international turned down offers to leave back in 2018, but at 26, a new challenge could now prove attractive to him. Worcestershire wicketkeeper Ben Cox is taking a break from the game to prioritise his mental health. The club confirmed in an update that the 30-year-old would be taking a break, but they did not put a date on his return. Gareth Roderick took over behind the stumps for this week's county championship clash with Durham. Cox joins former captain Joe Leach, as well as bowlers Josh Dell and Josh Tung in the sidelines, with the others recovering from back, finger and shoulder injuries, respectively. On the field, a vital partnership between Brett D'Oliveira and Ed Barnard helped keep Worcestershire in the game at Durham, though on Tuesday afternoon the pairs were still more than 300 behind. The game looks likely to end in a draw today, as day four gets underway, with a huge effort needed by Worcestershire to make even make Durham bat again, after the home side racked up 642 for seven declared on days one and two. Durham overseas signing Ratchin Ravindra hit 217 on debut for the club, with Paul Coughlin, 100, and Ben Rain, 103, also weighing in at the Riverside. Worcestershire left armer Ben Gibbon picked up three wickets in the space of ten balls this morning on his way to achieving career best figures of 26-4-127-4. It followed on from his five wickets for the county select 11 against New Zealand at Chelmsford in an encouraging start to his professional career. The Worcestershire attack did not let their heads drop and continued to plug away during another long spell in the field. There were also five catches for Roderick in his first championship match in the, as a wicketkeeper role for Worcester. When Worcestershire batted, Cornell Nort lost his off stump to the second ball of the innings from Chris Rushworth after pushing forward to a ball which kept low. Libby got into his stride with square drive and back foot drive for boundaries at Rushworth's expense. Azar had been in fine form before the three-week break from Championship cricket. He cover drove Matt Salisbury to the ropes and then flicked rain to fine leg to bring in a half-century in 11.4 overs. The partnership was worth 58 when Libby, 28, pushed at rain and was caught by Durham captain Scott Borthwick at second slip. Haynes joined forces with Azar with the duo having featured in three huge partnerships, 195 versus Durham, 187 against Derbyshire, and 281 off the Leicestershire attack this summer. Hazar Ali made 45, while a battling 68 by Jack Haynes helped to arrest the decline. Day three began with night watchman Charlie Morris departing early before Barnard and Oliveira came together for the main stand of the innings. And that concludes the roundup of sport. So now back to some news, general news. 
A woman was disgusted after discovering a pile of faeces in the stairwell of a supermarket car park, which was being used as a toilet. Rachel Stone was horrified to find a pile of excrement smeared on stairs in Asda Car Park in St Martin's Quarter as she went shopping. She feared that there was a health risk, particularly to children, as the stairs were being used as a toilet, especially as there are facilities a short walk away. Miss Stone said, It's disgusting, it's not very nice, and it's just not what you want to see. I'm surprised that no one else has reported it, though. Imagine children going in there and finding it. I went, to, I went in there at Christmas and saw blood and needles one night at the bottom of the same car park. There is a toilet in the supermarket which is open from 7am to 10pm every day, except for Sundays, when it is open from 11 to 5. A spokesperson from Asda said it was taking action to stop antisocial behaviour in the car park. They said, we have recently installed locks on the doors alongside pre-existing cameras in an attempt to prevent antisocial behaviour in this area of the car park. And as soon as the store was made aware of this particular incident, it was dealt with immediately. We would also like to reassure anybody who uses the car park that we have employed extra colleagues to work in and monitor the entire car park and we are working with council services to try and deter similar events from happening in the future. A spokesperson from Medical News Today said... A person can try to avoid infection by practising good hygiene. This involves washing hands after coming into contact with other humans, animals, soil and objects that may expose a person to faeces. Cooking food properly, washing vegetables and storing refrigerated foods appropriately can all help prevent food poisoning. If a person thinks that a child has consumed faeces, they should contact their doctor or poison centre. An 89-year-old man killed his wife to get her out of the way so he could be with his mistress, a jury heard. David Venables of Elgar Drive, Kemsey, denies murdering his wife, Brenda, on a day between May 2nd and May 5th, 1982. Michael Burroughs, QC... Oh, sorry, 1962. Oh, 82. Michael Burroughs, QC, opening the prosecution's case, said Venables reported his wife missing on May the 4th, 1982. He said police did not find her body and it was thought she had committed suicide. Mr Burroughs said Quaking House, the Kemsey home where the Venables had been living, was sold to nephew Andrew Venables before the skeletal remains of Brenda were found inside a septic tank in 2019. Burroughs told the jury, In short, it is beyond belief to suppose Brenda took her own life by climbing into the septic tank and somehow shifted the heavy lid and put it back in place above her. The prosecution say you can be sure she was unlawfully killed. Mr Burroughs said few knew about the septic tank and so it was preposterous to suppose that Brenda walked out of the house and was confronted by somebody. For nearly 40 years it was the perfect place and he got away with murder, the prosecutor said. The prosecution alleges the retired pig farmer killed Brenda to continue a long-standing affair with Lorraine Stiles, whom he met in 1967. Providing details of the affair, 
Mr. Burroughs said Venables had led Mrs. Stiles to believe he wanted them to be together. In 1970, after Mrs. Stiles learned Brenda had found out about the affair, the pair spoke and Brenda told Mrs. Stiles that she knew Venables had other affairs. After resuming their affair in the late, 1980, in late 1981, Venables discussed moving in with her at her Warnden home. Lorraine Stiles ended her relationship with Edward Day in February 1982 in reliance on what David Venables had said to her, Mr Burroughs said. The jury heard a few weeks after Mrs Venables vanished, Mrs Stiles saw Venables who made advances to her. She refused because she was concerned about Brenda, Mr Burroughs said. They continued their affair until November or December 1982. By then he seemed to be losing interest in her. Medical notes <clears throat> showed Brenda had been seen by consultant psychiatrist Dr Richards in February 1982. His notes indicate that she told him that she did not have a happy marriage, Mr Burroughs said. She said that he had had two affairs and that they had not slept together for three years. The trial at Worcester Crown Court, which is expected to run for six weeks, continues. People who want to find out more about the work of the Royal British Legion are being invited to the Worcester City branch meeting this week. Jean Waldron, branch chair, said to learn more about your local branch and its existing future, why not attend the branch meeting? We are a friendly group that has served the city and its veteran community for over a 100 years. Many people think the Royal British Legion appears once a year during the Remembrance period and is concerned with veterans from the Second World War. However, the Legion helps veterans and their dependents all year round. They have helped veterans from the numerous conflicts since 1945, including the Korean War, and more recently the Falklands War 40 years ago, and Afghanistan. You do not need to be a veteran to be a member. It is also a great way to help combat loneliness and support people. Potential members are most welcome. If you are unable to make this meeting but would like to get involved, please contact our secretary, Phil Banks, on 01905 745 838. The branch meeting takes place tomorrow at 7.30 in Barbourne Ex-Servicemen's Club. A brave, a brave father who feared he would never walk again after an horrific bike crash will wed the amazing woman who stood by him through it all. As we reported previously, Zach Martin feared he would lose his leg when a careless driver ploughed into his motorbike in Poick. But doctors managed to save his shattered limb and now he's determined to walk the woman he loves down the aisle. He calls his partner of 13 years, Anna Smith, his rock, and believes he and his family would never have got through the trauma without her. The wedding had to be cancelled as the 32-year-old recovered from his catastrophic injuries. To begin with, she could not even see him at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital because of COVID-19 restrictions. She was also in the dark about the extent of his injuries, including multiple broken bones. However, the couple who have a three-year-old daughter called Phoebe are determined to tie the knot once he's well enough. Although laid up in bed, still only able to walk short distances with the aid of crutches, he and his partner have never lost hope. 
I will walk her down the aisle on her big day, he said. Mr Martin of Orford Way, Mulvan, said, Anna has been amazing and my absolute rock. I couldn't have got through all this without her. Having to balance caring for me while being a great mum to Phoebe is incredible. We've all been through so much as a family, but we will come through it and get back to normality in the future. Miss Smith, 31, became a full-time carer, giving her a job as a part-time self-employed beautician so that she could be at her partner's side and provide the support he needed. The mum, who has spent five years building up the business, said, It has been life-changing for us all. They were supposed to get married on July the 1st this year at the Holt Fleet, which was all booked and paid for. Mercifully, they were able to cancel in time to recover some of the cash. Family finances have become an even more pressing concern as both have lost their incomes in the wake of the crash in Poic on November the 5th last year. Another blessing was that the couple were able to spend Christmas together after Mr Martin was discharged from hospital on December the 18th, spending seven weeks in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham. By giving free entry to their spring concert, Droitwich Spa Community Choir raised £1,000 to give to Acorns Children's Hospice Trust. Janet Steadman, the choir's chair, was able to present a cheque to Tony Lewis, the Acorns representative, thanks to the generosity of the Droitwich community, the businesses who advertised in the programme, the audience who attended the concert and the Waitrose partners who provided all the refreshments. The concert featured several new medleys of songs arranged by Keith Lewis, the choir's musical director, and performances by the Hudza Handbell Ringers. During the lockdowns of the last two years, the choir has kept in practice thanks to Zoom rehearsals by singing outdoors in Lido Park and singing for five of the town's care homes. As restrictions have eased, more members have returned and new members have been joining every week. The song for the Commonwealth was performed in Vines Park for the Queen's Platinum Anniversary Celebration and at the start of the choir's performance in Victoria Square on Saturday. Having already performed at one of the town's festivals, St Richard's Boat Festival, the choir is now preparing new material for the Salt Fest in September. Anyone wishing to join is welcome to attend Tuesday 7.30pm rehearsal at the Baptist Church in Ombersley Road East. Telephone 01905 938165. So any of you singers, don't be shy. We're now going to have a little round-up of, um, if we can do that, of short, short pieces with Kate. Thank you. Was stolen from a driveway in Droitwich. The theft between 9.30pm on May the 31st and 7.15am on June the 1st was from a home on Hanbury Road. Police are appealing for information and are keen to hear from witnesses or anyone in the area around that and who noticed anything suspicious. They can let police know using an online tell us about form or www.westmercia.police uk quoting incident reference 
People not comfortable contacting police directly can pass on information anonymously to independent charity Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 111 or at www.crimestoppers-uk.org. A woman was seriously hurt and taken to hospital after a fall from height. Midlands Air Ambulance landed at King George V playing fields in Brickfields to provide care for the woman. She fell from a height in Tunnel Hill on Monday and was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. A spokesperson for West Midlands Ambulance Service said, We were called to reports of a patient who had fallen from height on Tunnel Hill at 9.40am. On arrival, we discovered one patient, a woman, who was treated for serious injury, not thought to be life-threatening, being, before being taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Thieves broke into a home before stealing keys and making off with a car. The offenders forced entry into a home on Laurelwood Road, Droitwich, via a side door <clears throat> at around 12.25am on June the 8th. They then stole keys to a car a white Cupra Ateca, and drove off in it. West Mercia Police Community Support Officer Andrea Leslie is urging anyone in the Droitwich area with information to come forward. The offenders have both been described as wearing dark clothing and the last three letters of their number plate was LBO. To report information, contact the police online, quoting incident number 00016 underscore one underscore zero eight zero six two zero two two the final short story is again another story about cars six suspects have been arrested following vehicle burglaries in worcestershire police said it was a busy night and commended the positive work from multiple policing teams a spokesperson for the south worcester proactive CID team said, a busy night and positive work from multiple policing teams from West Midlands Police and West Mercia Police have led to the arrest of six suspects for a number of different vehicle-related burglaries across Worcestershire. Shoppers will soon be able to pick up a bargain as new supermarkets reveal as new supermarket reveals when it will open its doors. Farm Foods has announced it will be opening its doors to shoppers <clears throat> on Friday, June the 17th at Shrub Hill Retail Park off George Street. Opening the supermarket will bring around 20 new jobs to the city, according to the planning application. The unit in the city centre retail park has been empty since stationery suppliers' office outlet closed in early 2019, after the company went into administration. The store was previously home to Staples, but was rebranded in 2017. The opening times are Sunday 10am to 4pm and Saturday 8am to 8pm. Tuesday to Friday it will open from 8am to 9pm. Farm Foods joins Majestic Wine Home Bargains, Just for Pets, Just for Pets, Wicks and Subway in the Retail Park. A statement included with the application said, Farm Foods are a family-owned retailer with a long history of successful trading. They do this by close attention to cost and efficiency. New stores create jobs and provide access to low-priced groceries to the benefit of those on a more limited budget. 
Stores are located where they are easily accessible and have adequate customer car parking and room for full-sized HGV Arctic delivery. The premises on the Shrub Hill Retail Park satisfy farm foods requirements and once open will provide customer choice along with a range of approximately 20 jobs, both full and part-time. It is the first store in Worcester which we have found in over 20 years of searching which is viable, available and suitable. Farm Foods wish to open the store as soon as possible and are working with the landlord to progress legal paperwork quickly so that this can be achieved. A scam NHS test message is being sent to phones across Worcestershire. The text claims to be from the NHS and says that you have been in contact with someone who has recently tested positive for the COVID-19 Omicron variant. The text also has a link attached which is designed to access personal information disguised as a platform to order a COVID test. The link is not recognised by the NHS. Upon opening the link, the website looks similar to that of the NHS website with a write-up that contains spelling errors and poorly phrased English. If you receive one of these messages, do not click the link. Apart from those down to mass murderers and maniacs, it's probably the most written-about killing ever carried out in this part of the world. It has spawned a TV miniseries, several books, endless columns of debate, had legal brains at loggerheads and is said to have inspired crime mystery queens Agatha Christie and Dorothy L. Sayers. It all happened a hundred years ago in the picturesque Welsh border town of Hay-on-Wye and reached its climax at Hereford Assizes where a jury found Major Herbert Rouse Armstrong, a solicitor by profession, guilty of poisoning to death his wife Kitty. After an appeal failed, Armstrong was hanged by John Ellis at Gloucester Prison on May 31st, 1922. He was the first and so far only lawyer in Britain to go to the gallows. The case itself was quite simple. The Crown claimed that Armstrong had killed his wife by putting arsenic in her food, but he maintained he hadn't, and the weakness in the prosecution evidence was that no one had seen him do it or indeed anything like it. Armstrong had always appeared the caring husband. The hows, whys, wherefores, whodunits have occupied many minds, some professional, legal, others amateur legal, ever since, and on the centenary of Major Armstrong's execution comes another book. The Poisonous Solicitor by Stephen Bates, Icon Books, 1899, has the tagline, The True Story of a 1920s Murder Mystery a boast which he could really have done without, and I suspect was not Mr Bates' idea, because it could imply all the words written in the past hundred years have missed something vital. And this is the problem, because everything happened all those years ago, and the details have been trawled through forensically ever since, sometimes in the hope of finding a smoking gun to prove Armstrong was innocent. After all, it's perversely a better tale to show that someone was executed for a crime they did not commit rather than one which they did. The story suddenly grows extra legs. Stephen Bates, an Agatha Agatha awarded shortlisted author and hugely experienced journalist with ten books under his belt, doesn't set out with that agenda. 
he tells it as it was, very fairly sets out the pros and cons and leaves the reader to form an opinion. Not forgetting that the moods of the country, its people and its legal system were a lot different in 1922 to what they are in what we like to think is a more enlightened 2022, although which era can claim the better values or morals will be a debate in its own. However, the narrative of the action remains compelling and led George Orwell to describe the case as the near-perfect whodunit. The Armstrongs had three children, but their marriage was complex. On the one hand, the domineering Kitty would regularly abuse and humiliate her husband in public, while on the other, both expressed apparently genuine concern when apart. She during his time away during the First World War, and he during her spells in a hospital. Catherine Mary Armstrong died on February 22, 1921. She had fallen ill nearly two years before, but recovered, and it was not until August 1920 her health, both physical and mental, began to go rapidly downhill. She was admitted to Barnwood, a private mental asylum near Gloucester, with pyrexia, vomiting, heart murmurs and albumin in the urine. There was also partial paralysis in the hands and feet and loss of muscle tone. She was also delusional. Again she rallied and was sent home, but within a month Kitty Armstrong passed away. Her death certificate cited gastritis aggravated by heart disease and nephritis. That would have been the end of it, except eight months later, Oswald Martin, the only other solicitor in Hay and a rival in a property deal, became violently ill after visiting Armstrong for tea and scones. A sample of his urine showed traces of arsenic. On December 31st, 1921, in what must have caused quite a stir in the small market town, Scotland Yard detectives arrived in Hay to arrest Major Armstrong for the attempted murder of Oswald Martin. He maintained that he was innocent, but police found a packet of arsenic in his pocket and many more in his house. Mrs Armstrong's body was then exhumed and examined by the eminent home office pathologist Dr Bernard Spilsbury. It was riddled with arsenic ten months after death and on January 19, 1922, Armstrong was charged with the murder of his wife. The prosecution alleged that Armstrong poisoned his wife with weed killer he had legally brought to control dandelions at their imposing family home, Mayfield in the village of Cossop Dingle, not far from Hay. The defence claimed it was either a case of suicide or someone else had administered arsenic to the depressed Kitty Armstrong at her behest. Both sides faced problems. The Crown could not produce anyone who had seen Armstrong give his wife arsenic. The defence could not, could not produce a name for anyone else who might have done it. Some of the top legal brains of the day battled it out in front of Mr Justice Darling, a veteran judge taking his last trial before retiring, and not, according to some views, making too good a job of it. The hay poisoning has always been one of the most fascinating cases in British legal history, with its twists and turns and insights into the social landscape of market town England emerging from the Great War. Stephen Bates's book takes a perceptive measured look at it all, and if you read just one account of the saga, this will do nicely. But be warned, you will have a job to put it down. Mm-hmm. So who done it? Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> For me to read.
floral tributes have been left for a lovely and kind man who died after falling from a car park. Bouquets have been laid near a car park and bus station, paying tribute to the man who fell from Crown Gate car park on Saturday. The messages refer to Gordon as the loveliest and kindest man. One tribute said to Gordon, rest in heavenly peace with your beautiful wife. One message read, to dear Gordon, thinking of you, may you rest in peace. And another said, we will miss you, the kindest, loveliest man. Police said the man was in his 70s. They were called to Angel Place at about 7.10am after reports a man had suffered a serious head injury. West Mercia Police released a statement following the death on Saturday. A spokesperson for West Mercia Police said they were called um, to Angel Place and a man had suffered serious head injury. Sadly, the man who was in his 70s was pronounced dead at the scene. It is believed that he had fallen from the Crown Gate car park. Disappointed volunteers of hospital radio service running for 40 years says it had been left without a home after it was evicted by NHS chiefs. Choice Hospital Radio is now in search of a new home after being broadcast at Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester since the 1980s. The volunteers say their kit was dismantled without their knowledge and put into storage. Since the pandemic, they have been broadcasting from home and now face an uncertain future unless a new base can be found. However, bosses at Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust say they are still committed to finding a solution. Run by volunteers, the radio station has moved around the hospital many times as the hospital has expanded and the number of patients increased. At one time, the radio station even operated from a shed and eventually a new studio was built in the Acombry unit in 2002. With the works underway on the new A&E unit in the Acombry building, the radio station was evicted by the hospital during the pandemic. Volunteer presenters adapted to home broadcasting to keep the station running and ensure live shows throughout the week, which was a lifeline during the COVID restrictions. The hospital suggested a new radio station would be developed within the A&E expansion, with the main reception of the hospital forward as a potential base to help meet new audiences. However, two years later, the station still has no new studio and nowhere to go. Ken Skillen, technical manager for Choice, said, We are really disappointed by how we have been treated by the hospital after 40 years of service by our volunteers. Our customer-built studio was pulled apart and is now sat in a storage somewhere and no compensation has been offered at all. Choice Radio Chairman Rob Mace said, We have been looking forward to re-engaging patients after the pandemic and getting back on the wards and welcoming new members to Choice. Instead, our members are still operating from home and we have been left a redundant part of the hospital development. Choice Radio is a part of the local community and we want to work with health services to promote well-being. Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said We are well aware of the concerns raised by the Choice Radio team. We have been working with them for several months to find a solution to this matter. We are committed to working together to find a solution and continuing our long-standing relationship. A deaf man who died in a house fire felt isolated, frustrated and lonely in hospital in the weeks before his death. 
Peter Mazzoni was described as funny and caring after his death in a fire in Randwick Drive, Wardendon, on April 28th. Hospital chaplain Reverend David Southall visited the 81-year-old several times in hospital and said he could see his friend getting more and more depressed as staff struggled to communicate with him. We don't treat deaf people very well in the NHS, said Reverend Southall. My friend Peter was born deaf and I had many chats with him. He used to show interest in my motorbike, tell me jokes and tease me that my sign language wasn't up to much, although always with a twinkle in his eyes. He continued, but you could see as the weeks went on, he got more and more depressed and isolated. On his last admission to a hospital, I saw this firsthand. Sometimes I was there when staff wanted to speak with him and I offered him some communication support. But often the staff would speak to me and ask me about him. I would gently remind them to ask Peter as he was the patient and could answer for himself. Staff were kind to him and tried their best. The Reverend Southall said he was privileged to attend Mr Mazzoni's funeral where an interpreter relayed the service to the numerous members of the deaf community in attendance using British Sign Language. But at no time during his hospital stays was Mr Mazzoni offered an interpreter, according to Reverend Southall, who is the chaplaincy team leader for Worcestershire Acute Hospitals, NHS Trust. When I asked how he felt, he wrote it down on a board for me. Isolated, seriously frustrated. What are tablets for? Lonely, unseen. And then he said to me in BSL... They think I am, and his finger spelled, dummy. I was furious. He obviously felt like a second or third class citizen, although I did see some staff who, despite the communication challenges, were kind to him and tried their best. On his discharge, he went home and tragically died in a house fire. Peter had lived a full life. He had friends. He was a real human being. He had loves and hates and was always kind to me. The thought that he felt he was treated as less than others still fills me with fury and regret. We have asked Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust for comment. An inquest into Mr Mazzoni's death has been scheduled for October 26th at Worcestershire Coroner's Court in Starport. Well, that is a very sad story and an indictment of the way society generally treats those with any sort of sensory impairment. And we do hope by producing our weekly offering that we can uh, support those of you who are visually impaired. Um, So time is running out, or has run out. Um, What we, I think, failed to remind you at the very beginning or to inform you about is that um, we are having um, an event by Two's Company and they're presenting a play um, called Love Letters at uh, St Peter's Village Hall, that's on uh, St Peter's Drive, Worcester, uh, in aid of this very organisation. It is at 7pm on Saturday, July 23rd. Uh, Tickets are £8, including refreshments. They are available from the Tourist Information Office at the Guildhall 
and the telephone number there is 01905 726311. So if you or any of your family would like to come and see Love Letters, you will actually be uh, supporting this particular charity. So it remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to sign off and thank our engineer, Alex Gwynn, and readers Kate Hudman, Janet Goodwin and Jim Norris for their offering this evening. And to remind you that after the final music, I will be reading the obituaries from the past week. So it just remains for me to sign off and hope you all have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And so I now have the obituaries um, from the last week. And we start with Edwin Eddy, known as Edwin Heeks, who passed away on the 21st of May. His funeral is being held on the 16th of June at 10am at Worcester Crematorium. Valerie Ann, known as Val Cleaver, passed away on the 19th of May. Her funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium at 2.20pm on Friday the 17th of June. That will have taken place, as will um, Edwin Heeks's. Um, Donations for COPD or cancer research can be sent to Worcester Cooperative Funeral Care, 17 Lowesmore, Worcester, WR12RS. And their telephone number is 01905 22137. Uh, on Tuesday, uh, the 21st of June, will be the um, funeral service of Ron Baldwin, known as Chick, who passed away on the 24th of May. So his service is at Worcester Crematorium at 10am uh, on the 21st of June. Donations for the Trussell Trust. Um, please contact Cooperative Funeral Care at Malvern 01684 574 733. Josie Taylor passed away the 26th of May. Funeral service at St John's Church in Worcester on the 22nd of June at 12.15pm, followed by interment in St John's Cemetery. Flowers can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, 01905 748811. The Reverend Sam Lowe, formerly Vicar of St George with St Mary Magdalene of Worcester, passed away on the 10th of May in Leamington Spa. His funeral service will be at 1.30pm on Wednesday the 22nd of June at St John the Baptist Church Hales-Owen, followed by a private burial at Quinton Cemetery at 2.30pm. Donations to the British Heart Foundation can be sent to uh, care of Liam Corbett, FP, Gaunt and Son Limited, High Street, Blackheath, B sixty five zero E E telephone O one two one double five nine one zero six two Roger MacDonald passed away the twenty second of May funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Thursday the twenty third of June at twelve fifteen PM 
Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice can be left on the collection plate or sent to EJ Gummery & Sons, 6870 Ombersley Road in Worcester, WR37EU. Thelma Knight, named Morgan, passed away on the 29th of May. Funeral will be held at St Wollstone's Church, Warnden, at 11am on Thursday the 30th of June. Donations for St Wollstone's Church can be made on the day. A time to remember and reflect will continue at the Virgin Tavern, Toledine Road, with refreshments following the service. And finally, John Thorley, who was a licensee, passed away on the 17th of May. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 6th of July at 1.45pm. No further information there. Thoughts and prayers go to all of those who have lost loved ones recently. And the thought for this week is taken from St John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. (laughs) 